Good morning, everybody. How you doing? All right. Good to see you today. Hey, why don't you get your Bibles out and let's open them up uh, to the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 1. That's where we are uh, been landing for some time and we're going to wrap up our identity series today. Ephesians chapter 1. You know, Nigeria, the country, is really a paradox in many ways. In one hand, in Nigeria is a very rich country. It's a very wealthy country with lots of natural resources. In fact, uh, it is the largest producer of oil and natural gas in, on the continent of Africa. And it is, it is number six in the producers of, the, uh, of oil among the OPEC nations. So it, it produces a lot of oil. In fact, just this year, the first half of the year, Nigeria took in about $26 billion in oil and gas revenue. So on one hand, it is a very wealthy country, but on the other hand, it is a very poor country. In fact, a recent article that was just put out this last week said that Nigeria has now surpassed India of having the most impoverished people of any other nation. 87 million people in Nigeria are what they call extremely poor or extremely impoverished. Think of it this way, 80% of the country live on $2 a day. So it's, it's a strange dichotomy, really. You got, you've got extreme wealth and extreme poverty in the same place. It's like they have all the wealth and resources they need. It's literally just under their feet, but they can't quite tap into it enough to change their life. And when I was reading about that this week, I was thinking about many Christians. Christians are the same way that many of them have this tremendous resource and all that we need for living a guided life is found in Christ and our identity is in Christ, but they never quite are able to tap into that in a way that changes their life. They still live struggling over certain issues, uh, still discouraged, still barely putting one foot in front of the other, never really fully living out the life that God has for them, having everything they need and yet not being able to tap into it. And so why is that? Well, I, that's what we're going to talk about today. In Ephesians chapter 1, we've been talking about our rich blessings in Jesus Christ, our identity in Christ. And uh, just by way of review, we've learned a lot of cool things. Uh, and in verse 3, we learned that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4, we learned that we're holy and blameless uh, in Christ. We learned in verse 5 that we have been adopted into God's family. And, uh, and, and that we can never be removed from his family. In, in verse 7, we learn that we are forgiven. Our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. And then if you look at verse 11 and 12, it says that we are an heir. Because we're in God's family, we, have, we are an heir to all the inheritance that God wants to give us. Now listen, if, if we really knew that and really lived out uh, that truth, then it would change the way that we approach life, to change the way we live, change the way I, we, we prioritize things. It would change your life. But yet so many people know that, we study it, but, but somehow can't tap into that to make a difference. Why is that? Well, I think the secret is found in verse 13, and that's where we're going to land today. Uh, look at it with me, Ephesians 1, verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
why is it that so many Christians live a struggling life and never really are able to live the life that God has for them? I, I believe it's, here's the short answer. I believe it's because we have yet to understand what it means to live our lives under the control of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want you to take your, take your pen and just put a little box around uh, the two words, Holy Spirit, that's right there in verse 13. Uh, now, as soon as I say we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, some of you are going to go, oh no, here we go. It's going to get a little weird, a little spooky. You know, maybe you, you didn't grow up talking about the Holy Spirit very much and you've seen things that were done in the name of the Holy Spirit that are a little strange. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Not too sure about that. Does it help that he's called the Holy Ghost, right, in the Old Testament? Just a little creepy even then, right? And then you got other people that, man, you grew up talking about the Holy Spirit all the time, and you're like, finally, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's about time, Craig, you got around to that, all right? And so what I want to do is kind of take both extremes here and say, let's just bring some clarity to the role of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to do. I want to answer three questions today. First question is this, who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, question number two, what does the Spirit do for me? And then question number three, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? All right? Three basic questions, important questions that are found right in this passage. All right? So let's just jump right on into it. Here's question number one. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, the short answer to that question is the Holy Spirit is God. You see, in the Bible... God is described as a father. In fact, Jesus told us to pray. Pray this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Many of the parables in the Bible uh, speak about God as a father. We studied this summer the parable of, of the prodigal son, the, who had a father that had two wayward sons. And so God is seen as a father. In another occasion, Jesus said, even though you fathers are wicked, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And so much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who love him. And so over and over, we see God as a father. And if you had a, a loving father, or maybe you didn't, but you know a loving father, then we can kind of conceive of God as a heavenly father, right? But the Bible also describes God as a son, the son, the son of God. In fact, Jesus was uh, described over and over as the son of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, over and over, Jesus uh, put himself forward as the son of God who was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a good man, he was a God man. For example, in Colossians 1, 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In fact, Jesus in the upper room said, uh, to, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you can look at me, you know what God the Father is like, because the Father and the Son are one. And so we understand in, from the Bible that God is a father. We understand that God is the son. And now we see that God is the Holy Spirit. Those three together form what is called the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity or the triunity of God. God exists as one expressed in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we see this throughout the Bible, this Trinity 
theme, even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, we see it in the Bible. For example, in the baptism of Jesus, you had Jesus being baptized. And as the son was being baptized, you hear the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. There in that one spot, you see the father, the son, and the spirit. You see it in creation when it says the Father speaks, let there be light. And the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. And you have the Word of God being spoken, which is Christ. You see it in the Great Commission when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them how? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see this over and over. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing his second letter to the Corinthian church, he wrapped up uh, that letter with these words. Uh, He said, uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see that? Father, Son, and Spirit. We even see that formula right here in the passage we're studying. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, you can see it. In verses 3 through 6, you see the Father's work. He is the one that predestines and chooses and adopts and, and, and blesses us with every spiritual blessing. Then you get down to verse 7 uh, through 11, and you see here the work of the Son who, who buys us back through his blood and forgives us and lavishes grace upon us. See that? And then you see the work of the Holy Spirit in verse 13, where he is the one that seals us and guarantees our salvation. So even in this passage, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who is the Spirit? Well, he's God. Uh, the Spirit is not a force. The spirit is not an it, all right? It bothers me when people say it. No, 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 a him, all right? He is the spirit. The spirit is not the energy in the universe, all right? This is not Star Wars. This is Bible, all right? And so he is the third person of the Trinity, very God. In fact, he has all the attributes of God. Um, We see it over and over. Hebrews uh, 9, 14 says he is eternal. Uh, he, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says he is all-knowing. Zechariah 4.6 says he is all-powerful. And it says in, in Psalm 139 that he is everywhere. He said, where can I go that I'm not with your spirit? I can't stand up, walk out the door, travel to the far side of the ocean, that the spirit of God does not know where I am. So he is, listen, let me put it this way. Uh, to, to know the spirit is to know God. To walk in the spirit is to walk with God. Uh, to... Uh, To be in fellowship with the Spirit is to be in fellowship with God. In fact, the great evangelist Billy Graham, he put it this way, there is nothing God is that the Holy Spirit is not. All the essential aspects of deity belong to the Holy Spirit. He is very God of very God. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's God. He's God's presence with us. So what does the Spirit do for me? That's the second question. What does the Holy Spirit do for me? And answer that, we really need to go back to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. On the night before he died, Jesus talked quite a bit about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And I want to just, I'm referencing here uh, John chapter 14. Let me just read some of this to you. Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Then in verse 16, he said, I will ask the Father 
And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. All of this I have spoken while I was with you. But the advocate... The Holy Spirit and the Father will sing in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He knew that their world was going to be rocked when they saw, saw him crucified and dead and buried. They just, he just knew that they would be sent into a, a tailspin. And so he said, listen, I don't want your heart to be troubled. Don't be afraid. Listen, I, I know that I'm not going to be with you physically like I have been, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you someone to come with you. Now, the word advocate there is used twice in that passage I read to you, an advocate. The word could be translated in different ways. It could be translated a counselor. It could be translated a comforter. It can be translated another friend. Uh, the word there is paraclete. I didn't say parakeet. I said paraclete, all right? Uh, he's not going to give you a parakeet. He's going to give you a paraclete. Someone to come along. It literally means someone to come alongside. Para means alongside. Uh, kaleo means to call or to come. So someone who comes alongside. Have you ever had somebody that when you're really going through a difficult time, they just came up alongside you and put their arm over your shoulder? And they said, hey, we're going to get through this together. I'm going to walk with you through this. And we're going to get through this together. That, that's exactly the picture here. Jesus said, listen, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send someone that's going to come along beside you and put his arm around you and walk with you through this life. And, and probably the best translation of the word paraclete is the word helper. He is your helper. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. The Christian life is not about you trying harder to be better. It is not. It, it is about you allowing the Spirit of God to move and work through you to change you from the inside out. We're not about trying to fit a bunch of rules and regulations. We are here to allow the Spirit of God to change us on the inside and to make us more and more like Him. And that's what He does. He comes alongside you to help you in your time of need. He's your helper. You say, well, Craig, what, how does the Spirit of God help me? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. One way that the Spirit of God helps you is that He reveals truth to you. He reveals truth to you. Think about it. Before you gave your life to Christ, the Spirit of God was already working on you. The Spirit of God was already working when you, when you heard the gospel, maybe for the first time it sunk in, for the first time it clicked, for the first time you had a desire to even know anything about God. That was the Holy Spirit drawing. And then when you heard the gospel and you were convicted of your sin and you realized that you'd sinned against a holy God and you deserve judgment, that was the Holy Spirit convicting you saying, you, this is your moment, this is your time, Christ died for you. That's the Holy Spirit doing that in you. And, and then listen, when you gave your life to Christ, it was the Holy Spirit at work. When you bent your knee and you asked Jesus to come into your life and to save you and to make you a new person, that was the Holy Spirit coming in and, and cleaning you and forgiving you and restoring you and, and bringing, you, bringing life into you. 
In fact, the Bible says in Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 5, says he saved us, not because of the works that we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, he washed you and he cleaned you and he breathed life into you. And, and at that moment, he baptized you into Christ. He placed you into God's family. And now from this point forward, it's the Holy Spirit that's, that's revealing truth to you. When you open up your Bible and, you, and all of a sudden you're reading, you go, wow, man, that really stands out to me. God really spoke, uh, spoke to me. Well, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. If you're ever sitting listening to a preacher and you say, man, that, that was the best message I ever heard. Uh, chances are it wasn't that great a preacher. It was just that the Holy Spirit took that moment, uh, took that passage and put it right to your life. Right would you need to hear that moment. One of the greatest comforts I have as a pastor and as a preacher is to realize, I know I'm not very good. Bless your heart. All right, bless your heart. I know that. But what I do know is this, every time I open up the word of God, God is gonna take his spirit uh, and begin to move in the hearts of people and take his word and apply it to your heart. Isn't that great? He is going to do it. As sure as the rains come, he said, I will send out my spirit and he will move in the hearts of his people. And so when you are moved, that's the spirit of God. When you're reading your Bible in the morning, all of a sudden you start to, it comes alive to you. All of a sudden that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I've had many people tell me, uh, pastor, you know, I, I really didn't understand the Bible before I got saved. I tried to read it, didn't make any sense, had no interest in it, no, uh, no appetite for it. But then after I gave my life to Christ, man, I wanted to read it all the time. And man, I started to understand it. It makes sense to me and I couldn't put it down. How do you explain that? Well, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is giving you this appetite for the word and he's bringing it to life and he's moving it to your heart. Uh, that is his job. In fact, Jesus said, it's the spirit of truth that will remind you of everything that I've said and will help you understand who I am. So he, he helps you, under, he reveals truth. Another way he helps you is he helps you by empowering you to live the Christian life. He gives you the power to live the Christian life. We say, what does that mean exactly? Well, it, it, a lot of different things. One is it gives you the power to change. Uh, again, the Christian life is not about you trying harder to change. It's about allowing the Spirit of God uh, to work in you and to change your attitudes and to change your heart and, 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 and take away your stubbornness and give a teachability and take away your anger and give you peace and take away your lust and, and give you faithfulness and take away your... your uh, your, your uh, your waywardness and, and give you a, a desire to be faithful to God. All these things happen by the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that changes you. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You see that? It's God at work. You ever known somebody that was one way and then they got saved and now they're completely different? And you're like, how in the world did that person, they don't even act like the same, or they don't even think the same way. How, how can you explain that transformation? It's only the work of the Spirit of God within you. He gives you the power to change. And so for some of you, you, you need to pray every morning, Lord, empower me to be more loving today. God, empower me by your Spirit to have wisdom today. Lord, empower me to be patient today. Lord, empower me to be faithful today. See, it's his power at work that will make it happen in your life. He will produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. He's the one that does that as you yield 
to him day by day, moment by moment. So it gives you the power to change. It gives you the power uh, to serve others. Did you know that when you give your life to Christ that the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts? These are abilities and talents that God wants to use in the body of Christ, within the church. Some of you have gifts of teaching. Some of you have gifts of leadership. Some of you have gifts of discernment. Some of you have gifts of exhortation. Some of you have gifts of encouragement. And listen, we all need that. That's why we're always talking about, man, getting you serving in the body of Christ because this church needs what God has put in you, activated in this church body. He gives you spiritual gifts so that you can give back and serve back and have a place to serve God in the church. He also empowers you to pray. There are times when we don't know how to pray. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever been to a place where you just, you just sit there and you don't have words? Maybe your heart's hurting. Maybe you're just confused. Maybe you don't, you don't understand what's happening. And you say, God, I don't even know what to pray right now. I don't even know what to say. I'm just hurting on the inside. In that moment, it says that in Romans 8, it says that the Spirit of God intercedes for you. He prays for you. I picture it this way. Here you are, you're sitting in your chair. Man, maybe your face is in your hands, tears streaming down your face. You don't know how to pray. You're so discouraged. You're so distraught. You don't know what to do. You say, God, help me. I don't know what to pray. In that moment, I picture the Holy Spirit with his hand on your head, interceding to the Father on your behalf, saying, Father, help him. Father, help her. He's calling out to you now. He's interceding for you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The Holy Spirit empowers you to pray, to serve. The Holy Spirit also empowers you to share your faith with other people. Listen, if you have, uh, you walk into the office and all of a sudden the thought comes to your mind, I wonder if old Joe that offices two doors down, I wonder if he knows Christ. You wonder where that thought came from? <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. Say, so you need to go talk to him. Or maybe you're in a spiritual conversation, all of a sudden, you, in the moment, you're, all, the thought comes to your mind, this would be an opportunity to talk about Jesus. What is that? That's the Spirit of God prompting you, say something. Speak, now it is. I've teed it up for you. Just hit it, all right? Uh, now that's the Holy Spirit at work prompting you. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the, earth, of, the earth, of, the, of the age. And so what does he do? He empowers you to live the Christian life. Listen, for some of you, you've been struggling and struggling and struggling, but you've never yet come to a place of saying, Spirit of God, I need you to help me. You are my helper, and I need you to help me to live a life that pleases God. So he reveals truth. He empowers you. Let me give you one more thing, and this kind of drives us back to our passage here today. What else does the Spirit of God do? He seals you and guarantees or secures your salvation. Now look back at Ephesians 1, 13. He says, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance. Now I want you to look at that word sealed and guarantee. The word sealed there is, is a vivid picture. In, in ancient times, in the time when, when this was written, uh, a a king or an emperor would roll up documents and then he would pour wax and he would seal it with a signet ring. That meant that this document belonged to the king and it was protected by all the authority and power 
of the Roman Empire. All right, so to seal something meant authority. To seal something meant protection. To seal something meant possession. It belonged to them. Now, get this. What he is saying is this. When the moment you gave your life to Christ, and some of you have recently given your life to Christ, some of you in the last several months have raised your hand at the end of a service and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. So here's what happened to you. At the moment you gave your life to Christ, the Spirit of God came into your life and you were sealed with the Spirit of God. God put his mark of ownership on you. You belong to him forever and ever. You are sealed and secure, and you are his, and he is yours. Let me just give you a little illustration of this, just to bring it home. Uh, this summer, Liz and I were out taking a walk. That's what empty nesters do. We just wander around. We just walk. We, we hope we can find our way home. And... Uh, we were taking a walk and, and it was getting a little dark and we saw this little dog, little, little thing. And he was getting, he was just out kind of running around, didn't see anybody out there with him. And, and in fact, he was getting closer and closer to a very busy road and there was a lot of traffic. And I thought, oh no, this little guy's in peril, right? So, so we walked over and we kind of called him and he came to us. He was just as happy as he could be. And we picked him up and, and sure enough, he had a, a, a tag on him that had an address. And so we, uh, we took him home and we, we got online and we figured out where the dress was. And sure enough, we, it was just not right around the corner, not far from where we picked him up. And so we, we got back in the car this time. We drove around to where his house was, and got out, knocked on the door and the lady opened up. She goes, oh, and she called the dog by name. There's so-and-so. He said, he's my little Houdini. He gets out all the time, you know, <laughs> he's always gone. And, uh, and I said, well, we, we, we weren't sure he was kind of out here by the busy road, but we saw the little tag. Oh, yeah, he belongs out. And we took him in, and, and uh, she was quite happy, and he was quite happy to be home. But I thought about that when I was reading this passage. It, it, it's just like us, that we have a tag, and that tag means we belong to Jesus, that we have a master, we have an owner. We have somebody that we belong, we're not just, and even when we wander away from God, it doesn't mean that we're still not sealed with the Spirit of God. Even when we wander, we do the things that we shouldn't and things that we, we, we regret. Even then, it doesn't change the fact that you've been sealed, that you belong, that God's put his mark of ownership on you. And that will never, ever, ever change. You've been sealed. But not only that, he says, this Holy Spirit guarantees your inheritance. The word guarantee is the word for deposit. Some of you maybe uh, bought a house and you went and you looked at a lot of houses and finally you said, man, this is the house we want. We want to buy this house. And the realtor said, well, that's great. I'm glad you want to buy this house, but you're going to have to put down some earnest money. If you're really serious, if you're in earnest, then you have to put down some earnest money. You have to put down something that proves that you're serious about paying the whole thing. And so you put down some earnest money, a deposit, Right? Well, that's the same word here. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the moment you gave your life to Christ, that the Spirit of God came within you, not only did he seal you eternally and perfectly, you belong to him. You've been marked as God's very own. But this Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that, that shows that God is serious, that God is in earnest when it comes to fulfilling all of his promises toward you. If you ever think, well, I don't know if, I, if heaven's real. I don't know if God's ever going to really bless me. I don't know if, if I'm really right with God. All you have to go back and look at, he has given you his Holy Spirit. That is a promise. That is a promise. 
If you've ever felt the Spirit of God speaking to you, leading you, directing you, changing you, then you know that there's a promise of good things to come. That your inheritance is for sure that God is serious and he's going to fulfill every promise on your behalf. Isn't that good news? That is great news. Listen, we are sealed and secure. We are guaranteed. Listen, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. How? Well, that's really the third question. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? Well, I receive, well, let's go back to the passage, right? Let's just go back to God's word. What does it say here in verse 13? Look at it. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, underline the phrase, heard the word of truth and believed in him. Those are two things that must happen for you to receive the Holy Spirit. First is you have to hear the word of truth. You have to hear, what is the word of truth? We'll keep reading. The gospel of your salvation. (laughs) That's the word of truth. In other words, you have to hear the gospel. That is that Christ, uh, God created you to know him in a deep and personal intimate way, but you have sinned against God. You have gone your own way. You're wayward from God. And because of your sin, you deserve judgment and death. But the Bible says that God so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and he went to a cross and on the cross he put on all of your sin, all of your waywardness, all of your rebellion and wickedness was put on innocent Jesus and Jesus suffered the wrath of God at Calvary for your sake, on your behalf. He died in your place and he offered this great exchange that if you will receive Christ, that all of his righteousness will be accredited to your account. That's the gospel, that he was buried, he rose again in power, and he offers you a new life and a new start and his spirit to live within you, to restore your identity back to what he created it to be. Have you heard the gospel? Now, wait a minute, I didn't didn't say, have you heard it just with your ears? I mean, have you heard it with your heart? Has there been a moment in time when you realize, man, I need to be right with God. I need a savior. I'm wayward. I need to be reconciled to God. That's what it means to hear the gospel. And then he says, not only do you need to hear it, you need to believe in him. You need to place your faith and your confidence and your trust in Jesus. It means a point in time decision when you say, look, I'm not going to live for myself. I am going to place all my hope and all my trust in Jesus Christ. Let me just say one word of warning here before we close out. There's a very scary verse in the book of Acts that may apply to you. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen, one of the early church martyrs, was preaching the gospel and he was filled with the spirit and he was preaching to this group of people and he was telling them about Christ and he was telling them that they need to to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he makes this statement. He said, you have always resisted the Holy Spirit. Wow. What a convicting word. He said, man, you've had this over and over and over, but you've constantly been resisting and resisting the Holy Spirit. And it made them angry. Listen, for some of you, that may be true. That you've heard the gospel many times, more times than most people on the planet have heard it. And you've had multiple opportunities to say yes to God, but for whatever reason, you keep resisting what God is doing. When the Spirit of God is convicting you, saying you need to know Christ, you're saying, well, maybe later, maybe some other time. I need more information. I'm not quite there yet. You have all kinds of excuses and you resist him. My friend, today, do not resist the Holy Spirit. 
as he is coming to you now, as he, as he convicts you of your sin, as he makes the gospel clear to you, now is the time to say yes to him. Now's the time to say yes.